Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Time the Benjirovsky show as I speak. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. What, what's in the headline? I got a two for headline. I've been talking a lot about uh, on the show, and I'm probably going to be talking about that uh, with my distinguished guest. The bright one, pretty clever, Tina Svandelis. Wait, ladies and gentlemen, can we give a, a standing ovation for Tina Svandelis? She has been on a roll, and I'm not talking cinnamon. This woman has been breaking one story after another. I'm pretty sure she's the one who broke the home sweet hellhole story uh, about Darren Bailey, the governor, uh, the gubernatorial candidate, uh, the downstate farmer who loves MAGA so much. Mm, that's the sound of him mooing his appreciation for MAGA. Uh, he's renting in the former Hancock building to immerse himself in the culture of the city he frequently bashes. Tina's Fondell's with a big scoop there. And the bright one played it up pretty well. Home sweet hellhole. Uh, and the L is the Hancock building. So the second L is the Hancock. Oh, pretty clever sometimes. Uh, and then another Tina Svandella story in the front page of today's bright one. Asian American candidates in Illinois aim to break state election records. So Tina's on a roll. Hey, sometimes give her a raise, all right? All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the editorial board and a columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, distinguished columnist at the Sun-Times, I might add. Uh, and she's going to be writing a column in the next couple of days. Do you, do you know what the column topic is or do you want to keep it a secret, Ramana? Um, I'm leaning towards doing something on Pakistan, which is what my boss, Lorraine Forte, kind of suggested. Um, I don't know if anybody's been paying attention. I think not enough people are paying attention because we're paying attention to what's happening with the Queen of England. Um, there's like a there's been devastating floods since June. A third of the country is um, underwater right now as we speak. Um, this is due to monsoons and glaciers melting. And this is obviously due to uh, climate change as well. And Pakistan is only responsible for 1% of the world's emissions, yet um, it is suffering because of what everybody else is doing. So I think it's something that we need to be paying attention to. I, I feel like... Um, in general, I mean, I'm biased. I feel like whenever there's parts of the world that are suffering, there are definitely some countries that people pay attention to and then other countries that just people are just like, well, that's expected. And, you know, in this country, we talk about climate change all the time. And this is happening halfway around the world in a country where people don't really give that much thought to. So I'm just going to kind of tie it in. I'm thinking about doing something on it. I want to talk to a couple of people. I have some friends who overseas actually in a one Pakistani journalist. So want to talk to him about if he feels like this isn't being covered enough or people aren't, aren't paying attention. Obviously these news stories are covered. I mean, I'm not going to say they're not because I wouldn't have known about them if they weren't covered. So they are covered. It's just the matter of the prominence that a lot of these stories receive in our country. I, I feel like there is, um, there's definitely 
you know, biases that we have in this country and we don't pay attention to it when certain things happen in certain countries. And one of the things I do also want to talk about, like, is in 2014, the uh, Taliban went into a school and killed over 100 children in Pakistan. We always hear about terrorist attacks when they happen in Europe or in London. Um, yeah, I guess London is in Europe, but I'm just saying that we do pay attention to certain things. It depends on who the victims are or who people perceive the victims to be is when we pay attention as a country. So kind of want to bring that up too, because I don't think a lot of people know about when that happened. I mean, I know about it because I'm brown and I'm South Asian and I pay attention to things that happen in a lot of countries that a lot of other people don't talk about. So I may touch upon that a little. I don't know. I That's what I'm leaning towards. Um, I'm just trying to clear my head before I start writing. It's been, it's been a busy week. So. Well, an issue connection with the flooding uh, in Pakistan, one third of the country, just want to make sure everybody heard that correct. One third of the country. Just think of a big pie, ladies and gentlemen, and think of one third of that pie. Uh, And uh, just imagine if it were Chicago, say, (laughs) Uh, I mean, we had a heavy rainstorm over the weekend that hit the north side of Chicago pretty bad. You know, but see, it's a similar thing. This is so Chicago, but it's it, it epitomizes, it's like a metaphor for what you're talking about. So it's like if there's a flood on the north side, people on the south side say, well, I don't care. Or they may go, good, they got theirs. Uh, and if it's anything on the south or west side, people on the north side couldn't care less. I mean, they, they that's not fair. They care in passing. But if it doesn't hit you directly or someone in your family or someone that you know or someplace that you really believe in or have a, a connection to, Ramana, you don't pay attention. It, you, exactly. And it's it, part of it is human nature, too. I'm not saying that, you know, it's everybody's fault, but I'm just saying that, you know, we're we're all up in arms about Ukraine, but there's been wars going on, um, you know, throughout our country. A lot of wars that we are responsible for, and people just kind of forget about them after a while. I feel like with Ukraine, you see flags everywhere you go. I never knew that many people paid attention to Ukraine, and I'm just it. It always just it, it's interesting to me what people pay attention to and what they don't. And yeah, it's human nature. Like you know, but one of the arguments I've made, and I've talked to people in the newsroom about this, is you know, people say, oh, you know, people can relate to Europe. But I'm like, when you say people can relate to Europe, what do you mean? Because I told them there's, a, you know, as Tina Svondelis' story points out, there's a lot of Asian Americans in this town. There's a lot of Pakistanis in this town. You know, whenever something happens in France, we're like all up in arms and saying, you know, start talking French and everything. And I'm like, there, do you know how many Pakistanis there are in the Chicago area? And it's like, there's a lot of stories you can come up with, I think, locally. And I just haven't seen that. I'm not saying that we're not paying attention, but I haven't seen any sort of local coverage about what's being done locally for people who have relatives there overseas or what sort of charities people are doing, because that is happening here. And I don't think people pay attention to it. And, you know, for people to make their argument that, oh, you know, everybody can relate because, you know, they've been to Europe, they've been backpacking to Europe. I'm like, well, I've been to Pakistan, I've been to India, like, What's your point? Not everybody in Chicago has the same experiences or go to the, goes to the same countries. So I don't know. I just want to tie it to that. And like I said, it's nobody's fault. I'm just saying it's kind of human nature. And it's just interesting to how people respond to different things, depending on what their experience is. So I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very complex situation, but I just kind of want to bring attention to the floods because I don't think I don't think that we've been paying attention to them as much as we should be. Okay, so I'm going to push back a little bit with you on the issue of fault, uh, play the devil's advocate with you and see how you respond. So here we go. Uh, you said you don't think it's anybody's fault. I'll, I'll push back, uh, and I'll say this. Uh, at the outset, you were talking about the connection between uh, climate change and the flooding uh, in Pakistan. Uh, roughly 45% of the voting population in this country through, which through gerrymandering controls legislative bodies through in states throughout the country uh, and is very close to retaking Congress. 45%, I'm going to call it MAGA, for lack of a better term, because that's what unites them, MAGA. MAGA not only doesn't want to do anything about climate change, they don't think climate change is real. They think climate change is a hoax. So the United States is not doing nearly as much as it can in its own country, let alone Pakistan, to curb the impact. of. So I I would say there is somebody at fault here, and that fault is the Republican Party, which has dedicated itself to a bunch of 
lunatics who claim that something is as real as the sun outside. I'm looking out the window right now, Ramana, and I see the sun in the sky. They say something is as real as the sun in the sky does not exist. Your response? That that is true. That is true. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying when I see people. I guess I'm talking about the paying attention. Be, I do think there is some fault. I'm not going to say because you know I always like blaming people too, but blaming people where the blame is due. But um, yeah, there's definitely people who don't believe in climate change. I bet those same people don't think that the people in Pakistan deserve any help. So I wouldn't be surprised. There's a correlation. But I also feel like among the activists, um, I you know environmental activists, I feel like I haven't heard anything from people locally, like saying, hey, we got to pay attention to what's happening. It's, it's it's just interesting about what people get all riled up about. And I haven't seen, and I'm like I said, I am closer to this than um, maybe other people are and other people in Chicago are. But I, I do think that, you know, sometimes we pay attention, we selectively pick and choose. And I think as a country, we selectively pick and choose certain things that might not necessarily deserve all the attention that it's getting, including the queen's funeral. And I'm not saying that, um, I mean, I can talk about this forever because as a South Asian, there's been various discussion about um, the feelings about the queen's passing. Um, And I'm sure we'll touch upon that too. But I do think, you know, I've been getting alerts like every five minutes from the Associated Press about the queen's casket, like finally arriving at this place then finally arriving at this other place and it's just it's just it it just I don't know I'm just mystified by it you know we talk about um monarchies and you know this country obviously believes well some of us believe in democracy and I don't know why we're so obsessed with the the British monarchy I know we have ties to England obviously our history is tied to England and a lot of us um you know, have parents who were living in countries that were colonized by the British, but I just find it so bizarre and so strange. Um, you know, I don't, I don't celebrate anybody's death, but it's been interesting to see how people are pushing back when people are saying things like, well, they start criticizing, you know, what England has done. I'm sure you saw the Jeff Bezos commentary on that one professor who had, you know, she, she wished um, the queen an excruciating death, I believe. And then Jeff Bezos went after her. And, you know, people can go after Jeff Bezos, too, and say, hey, you're making your drivers drive really fast. So the packages get on time. And there's a lot of accidents and people have been killed. You don't treat your workers right. So everybody found it like pretty rich. Like here's this white guy telling this woman who's, you know, I think she was um, her parents were from an African country or she might have been too. And, you know, kind of telling her how to feel or not having some sort of reaction. So, it's 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 just been interesting because I've seen people in this country, same people who are saying, oh, you know, you should have respect at this time. When there are people overseas who are killed, they're like celebrating and cheering. So if you don't think deaths should be celebrated, then don't celebrate other people's death either, which I've seen by the same types of people who are like lecturing other people to like, you know, be respectful at this time, quote unquote. All right, let's make this transition official to the queen because I would die to talk about it. But I, I, I'll just leave the climate thing with this. In Texas, the Texas Republican Party, you can look it up yourself, uh, has a platform that says climate change is a hoax. And then in the same platform demands that the federal government uh, turn over money to Texas when their coastal cities are overrun with water. So uh, (laughs) they're a twisted collection of human beings when it comes to climate change. And you're absolutely correct when you point out they couldn't care less about it in Pakistan, but they don't even care about it in Texas. So if it means like stepping on a a gas company's profits, good. You know, uh, insanity reigns. Uh, All right, let's switch to the queen. I am baffled uh, as you are, and I'm looking to you, Ramana, for help uh, on this point. Uh, I understand you and I talk a lot. We love celebrity gossip, so we indulge in celebrity gossip. But celebrity gossip, in my humble opinion, is a different uh, beast than, like, worship. Uh, and I, was, <laughs> I had a field day with it. I sent you the, the column. There was a headline in the Sun-Times, her kind of town. Queen Elizabeth came to Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, in 1963 years ago, spent 14 hours here, never 
came back. We are not her kind of town. She couldn't care less about us. She thought, forgot about us the minute she left. And yet Chicagoans are still clinging to that visit, Romana. Like it means something. About, we're something because Queen Elizabeth once spent 14 hours in our city. I think that's a form of insanity of taking worship of celebrities too far. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think it's questionable whether or not Queen Elizabeth is a celebrity. Um, and third of all, I don't know. I, I haven't seen like I, I have seen like, you know, my paper included, you know, find the archival pictures of Queen Elizabeth with Richard J. Daly. And, you know, yeah, they're going to find some sort of Chicago connection. But I don't think I don't think Chicagoans are like, oh, wow, look at. Queen Elizabeth came to Chicago and look how special we are. I didn't, I didn't see that. I just think it's a general American thing where we're so obsessed with the British royalty. I mean, the same thing when Lady Diana, Princess Diana came to Chicago, I think in the 90s, 96, maybe a year or maybe the same year she died. And she, she came to Northwestern and she wore purple. And I had worked at City News at that day. And everybody was just going crazy over it. And I'm just like, even back then, I was like, okay, like her death, that was like, that was a shocking death because she died in an accident. Um, that was a, that was a tragedy. She was a young woman. But I remember her coming and I was like, that was a big deal. Like that was like, it was like, the, I don't know if it was front page story because I don't remember what was on the front page the next day, but it was like everywhere you went, people were talking about it. And I just find it just insane. I mean, if there's monarchy monarchies from the Middle East coming? Do we care? Like, why are we so obsessed with the British monarchy? I mean, even me, when I was a little girl, I woke up in the middle of the night to watch Princess Diana and Charles get married. And, you know, I laugh about it now because I'm like, I haven't seen any royal wedding ever since. But I remember just telling my mom to wake me up. So me and my older sister, we asked my mom to wake us up so we could watch it. But I was a nine-year-old kid. I'm not like an adult. I just find... And I'm not saying it's not newsworthy. It's definitely newsworthy. It's an end of an era, but I just feel like we're going overboard on the coverage. Yeah, I, actually, uh, the, the quotes in the paper, they found Chicagoans who said, she touched my life. I feel, you know, I mean, I'm just telling you what I read in a bright one in the Tribune, okay? I'm just, uh, they where do you find these people? <laughs> I mean, how do you find someone? Do you like randomly find someone on the street that said she touched my life? Or do you have to like, be led to someone who says she touched my life. I'm just kidding. How, how did Queen Elizabeth touch their life? <laughs> was it someone? I mean, I, I wasn't alive in 63, so I don't remember that. And you were barely, well, I, I don't even know if you were a teenager at that point even, but. Oh, what year? 1963, you said she came. No, right? or she, uh -uh. no, 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 no. She came in 1959. 63 oh, yeah, yeah. years ago, stayed oh, God. 14 hours, left, never came back. That should have been that, the lead in the story. The, Queen Elizabeth couldn't care less about us, Chicago. She came once, and it's only because she was going down the St. Lawrence Seaway. It's not like she said, I really wanted Chicago to be my destination. You know, No, she didn't want to ride on the Ferris wheel. She didn't want to go to Navy Pier. All right, so um, <laughs> Chicagoans are, are trippy people. Romana, we, I, we do we do love Chicago. I mean, people who are from Chicago, I'm going to preface this with saying I do live in Chicago, but I did leave, live in the grew up in the suburbs. So people are going to get touchy. But I was born in the city for people who don't think I'm a real Chicagoan. Um, I do. We do get a little touchy and possessive about the city. I get annoyed by people who aren't from Chicago and try to claim Chicago. And I don't mind if people have been here for a long time. And that's fine. But there's a lot of people who like have been here for like 10 years and they act like they own this city and they start lecturing you about Chicago and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, if I tell them I'm from the suburbs, they're like, oh, you're from the suburbs. And I'm like, first of all, you moved to Chicago when it was super gentrified. You live in like some gentrified area. Don't lecture me about the city. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's just funny. I get, I do get offended by people who come from these like small towns and suddenly act like they're experts in Chicago. And, you know, like I said, I don't care. We can all talk about it, but I do get, I do get touchy. We do, we get, we get a little possessive. And then when someone says something about the city, I think we get really defensive as well. All right. So, so let's get into that. Too. I, you know, I, the Darren Bailey hellhole comments. Yes, let's, yes. We get really touchy about that stuff. And I guess it's because we're Chicago and we're not New York. 
we're not LA and you know, people call us a second city. So people might feel kind of slighted, but we don't want to admit that we're slighted because it, it's something that we don't really talk about. We're really proud of the city. Like I, when I think of Chicago, like, you know, how Darren Bailey thinks of like dangerous and hellhole. Like the first thing I think of is home when I think Chicago. And so you do get defensive when you, I, I just think people are very loyal. People who are from this area are very loyal to Chicago. Not everyone, but a lot of people are. And they get, they get pretty defensive when someone attacks the city, especially an outsider. Well, I, I gotta, uh, I hear you. I, I'm not from Chicago, but I've lived here for 40 years. So I kind of studied Chicagoans and how they behave. Uh, and my favorite sports teams, as you know, I'm an obsessive sports fan, are Chicago teams. So I, I truly do not understand someone who grew up in Chicago and roots for, say, the Los Angeles Lakers because they're the winning. That's a bunch of front runners. Uh, that's not Chicago at all. That's just front runners. So, uh, but I, do you think this was the challenge uh, we, we had exchanged on text? So I'm going to put it to you directly. Do you think that second city inferiority complex where you feel compelled to link Chicago to any news story so that like makes like the story doesn't matter. You talked about how people in Chicago don't people don't care about Pakistan. They got to think of a way to say they're like there's a Pakistani person from Chicago. Then maybe they would care. Chicagoans have this thing. If it's not a direct connection, that's why the sometimes has to spoon feed us by saying, you know, she came to Chicago once. This is why the story is important. So do you think that that's more prevalent in Chicago, or do you think that's a universal thing across the board in America? You put that challenge to me, and I don't know the answer to that question. I, I think it's a universal thing, at least in terms of news, because people want to say, like, hey, so-and-so came to uh, you know our city, our town, and this year, and here's a picture. Like, it's kind of like when a celebrity dies, or like um, with, with the jazz thing, the jazz... Um, musician who died this week ramsey lewis ramsey lewis, lewis passed away i mean people are sharing pictures of themselves with ramsey lewis so i can understand that so whenever like somebody famous dies everybody you know makes it about themselves right so i i noticed that people do that like when, you know when something happens we we're talking about a an attack in a, in a city or a country whenever i see that like people make it about themselves right they show a picture of them enjoying their vacation someplace and go hey you know i was here like 10 years ago. So I think people do want to make everything. <laughs> that's one thing bad about social media. And that's part of, you know, media is, is part of the whole landscape. And so people are just always trying to make a connection, like, you know, whether it's newsworthy. And, and that's, that's something I always tell people when they're pitching a story, they're like, hey, this is happening. And I'm like, well, is there a Chicago connection? Because if it's something that's happening, like, you know, that has no sort of connection to Chicago, I mean, then it's like, you don't really do the story. And that's when I, what I was talking about when people always say that, oh, well, there's really no Chicago connection to what's happening in Pakistan. And I'm like, there's a lot of Pakistanis in Chicago if you paid attention, if you knew that. So you know what I mean? So I think it's just the, the I think people are doing that everywhere. I'm, I'm sure in New York, there's pictures of Queen Elizabeth in New York. And yeah, maybe she went there a few more times. I'm sure in India, where you know people are having this debate and discussion, there's probably, you know, a lot of a lot of pictures being shared of British, the British being in, in India. And, you know, we're talking about a lot. I mean, the Indian discussion has been all the stuff that they stole from from India. Um, and I know a lot of Africans are uh, people who are of African descent are talking about all the you know diamonds that they stole from, you know, African, the African continent. I mean, India, where they stole a lot. The British stole a lot diamonds from india they really plundered um what happened in india i still remember the first time i went to england when i was a teen we went to the tower of london and the biggest diamond in the world was from india which was probably stolen from the british and the placard at the um tower of london said that oh here's the Kohinoor diamond and <laughs> it said that they uh it was a gift from india from india and my dad was so mad i thought he was gonna get a heart attack on that spot and he's like gift what gift? And so, you know what I mean? So there's, there's just like, so I'm saying, I think everybody's just connecting, you know, the Royal family, whether good or bad to, you know, their experiences, whether their city or, you know, their experiences, you know, meeting, you know, somebody from the Royal family. So it's just, a, you know, even with Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle um, married Prince Harry and she went to Northwestern. So 
when that happened, we all kind of, you know, everybody, all the newspapers are like, oh, she went to Northwestern. So, you know, of course, there's there's going to be that dialogue and discussion. But if she went to if she went to Columbia, Columbia University, they would talk about the same thing in New York. So I don't think it's definitely I don't think it's necessarily particular to Chicago. I mean, you're I mean, you've been in Chicago for 40 years. You're, you're pretty much a Chicagoan, but you're still you're still kind of an outsider because you weren't born here. So you don't have the same. I don't have any of it. I don't, don't understand it. Um, I don't think you have the same possessiveness that we do. No, I think Chicagoans are really weird, actually. I've lived <laughs> here for 41 years. The stuff you guys do, I just don't get it. Uh, well, you know. I not every Chicagoan does the same thing. I mean, I don't, there's certain things that people always talk about that's so Chicago, and I'm like, I don't necessarily do that. You know, people, but there are certain things that Chicagoans do or say, and um, I can always pick out an outsider versus certain, the way they people talk and the way they pronounce certain things. I mean, I don't have a, like a Chicago accent, but I always tell Mick, my husband and your dear friend about, he never uses the term gym shoes for like, you know, athletic shoes. And I was like, that's like the biggest giveaway that you're not from here. Like nobody from the Chicago area calls them sneakers or tennis shoes. I'm like, that's like, we know you're not from here. You know, you might know a lot, but you don't, we know you're not. From uh, yeah. I'm the same way. I think I call them sneakers. Um, uh, so yeah, that that shoes. All right, I I have to. There's something you said. I took a note, and I have to go back. And Romana said something to me before we did the show that rang true. I've already quoted you once today on it. Uh, uh, it was it was so good. It was so funny, and it was just like in passing. So this Darren Bailey thing. Okay, just background for everybody out there who may be listening to us for the first time. Darren Bailey is the Republican candidate for governor. He's running against J.B. Pritzker. He's a state senator. He is MAGA. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. The maggiest man in the state of Illinois is what I quote, what I always say about him. Uh, he's so MAGA. He thinks climate change is a hoax. He thinks uh, the COVID uh, was a hoax. It was definitely exaggerated. We don't need to be immunized. We don't need, we didn't need social distancing. He tried to, he got kicked out of the state of the General Assembly meeting because he refused to wear a mask because he thought it was a tyrannical, that's how he pronounces it, imposition to make him wear a mask. MAGA to the core. He goes around the state calling Chicago a hellhole. Uh, because of all the violence here. Uh, and then, again, Tina's Fondellas, shout out Tina, uh, broke the story uh, in the Sun-Times that he actually has an apartment. He's renting an apartment in the Hancock Center, which is on uh, Michigan Avenue in the Gold Coast in the city of Chicago. So I, I remember, I, I'm like, what? why? Why, would, <laughs> why is he doing that? Uh, and then you said to me, what about all the people in the last big story that Tina had that we talked about where she went down to Centralia, the forgotten people downstate who feel like they're put upon by Chicago politicians? What are the ma they to make of the fact that their hero, their man who's going to speak up for their needs is establishing a residence in Chicago? Now he's forgetting them as well. Help me out here, Ramon. I need help. Go. It's It's not even like that he's moving to Chicago. It's like you're moving to the John Hancock. I've been to the John Hancock. I had a family friend who lived in the John Hancock building. So I've been there for uh, Thanksgiving and another event. And I can tell you that it's not something that people from Centralia, Illinois, the way some people in Centralia, Illinois are living. So one of the things I find interesting is that a lot of people who are MAGA, um, uh, you know, they always talk about the Democrats and the elitists and, you know, these rich people and the, these politicians, they don't know anything about us. And I'm like, okay, so Darren Bailey is going to live in the John Hancock. And I'm not disparaging the John Hancock. There are people who live there and, you know, that's great, you know, but that is hardly a slice of life of the average person in Chicago. I mean, he can probably just sit in the Jan John Hancock and get everything he needs. You know, I think there might be a grocery store in the basement or like, you know, on the bottom floor, so it's like, okay, so you're going to go and live in a luxury uh, condo and sit there and be like, I'm, and he, and he said something about like immersing himself in the culture, which is just insane. It's like, you're going in a different, it's like, okay, you're from Illinois. You're not coming from a different country, immersing yourself in a culture. And if you're, I don't know where, what he's going to do. And Neil Steinberg had a great column about, you know, these are all, he kind of gave him recommendations of what he can and can't do. And he, he told him to go to Pilsen, go to Devon, and 
I mean, I hate to be a stereotype, but I cannot see him in those places or going to some place like Bronzeville. It's like the guy, it's like he just comes here and just, you know, stands on a corner downtown and says, this place is a hellhole and then like leaves. And so now he's going to stand and like sit around in John Hancock and, you know, tell us it's a, you know, hellhole while he's sitting there like with a great view of the skyline and tell us it's a hellhole. I mean, he's still going to, he's still going to say that. And it's just, you know, it obviously evokes uh, what Jane Byrne did in the early 80s or late 70s, where she went to uh, Cabrini Green and lived in, in, in a unit there in Cabrini Green. And I mentioned to you, Ben, when I was in college, uh, Dantrell Davis, a young boy, got shot while he was going to school. He was a Cabrini Green resident. And it, it was a story that kind of resonated nationally. And I remember the CNN crew I was working with uh, they wanted to interview Jane Byrne. So Jane Byrne came to um, CNN. I remember I had to ask her if she needed any coffee or, and I took her fur coat, I think. I, I could be, I don't know if the fur was real, but I remember it was like a furry coat that looked like real fur. So I just remember that. And I, and I remember vaguely when she went to Cabrini Green as a kid and people just talking about it. And I don't know, I think you just can't parachute into a community and, you know, especially when you're a politician and say that, oh, hey, you know, look at me. I'm trying to figure out how the people are living. And, and if Darren, Darren Bailey thinks Chicago is such a hellhole, like, what is he going to try to prove by moving to the John Hancock building? I just want to know what is he going to do? Just kind of sit there or is he going to actually kind of walk around and well, uh, talk to people? I don't yeah, know what his plans I, are. But- yeah. I just want to say some, something in defense of Jane Byrne. So here we go. Uh, Jane Byrne, I think the year was 1981. Uh, Ramon, I think that's the year I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, that because I'm pretty sure I had already moved to Chicago and it was, it was big news. Uh, Jane Byrne uh, moved to Cabrini Green. She lived right around, not far from it. Cabrini Green was on the north side, on just uh, west of the Gold Coast. And Jane Byrne lived on Delaware. I want to say, don't quote me, people, but it was somewhere around in the Rush Street general area. And uh, I just want to say this uh, in defense of Jane Byrne. Uh, she spent more time at Cabrini Green than Queen Elizabeth spent in Chicago. Uh, and so when, uh, when she passed on, I don't recall any newspaper saying Cabrini Green, her kind of town. Uh, I, um, so yes, I, I thought that was a very great move by, uh, uh, Tina to bring in Jane Byrne because, uh, in a sense, what Darren Bailey was saying symbolically was that moving anywhere in Chicago, even into the richest corner of Chicago, was the equivalent of moving to the poorest corner of Chicago uh, back in 1981 when Jane Byrne moved to Cabrini Green. So it's not like Darren Bailey moved to like Roseland or or Austin, a really poor, uh, impoverished neighborhood. No, he moved to the wealthiest corner and maybe the wealthiest census tract. I don't want, it's definitely in the top 10, uh, in the city of Chicago, Ramon, your point is well taken. So it just shows you like what a, like a condescending attitude the man has about the city of Chicago. Like, oh, I'm going to get kudos. I moved to the Hancock building with my neighbor is Oprah. Didn't Oprah used to live in the Hancock building? I want to say Oprah lived in the Hancock, uh, building many years ago before she, I don't know. She might've, she might've, but yeah, I just think it's so it's it's crazy, and I just wonder what the people in Centralia think about that. You know, they always talk about you know he even talks about being like this simple farmer, like you know as if he doesn't have any money, like you know he's in overalls and you know standing there like American Gothic. But it's like God, you're you're like a millionaire, you know, you have a million at least a million dollars in assets, and you're living in the John Hancock building. That's not it's not cheap to live there. And so, yeah, I always wonder, like, but, you know, there's the MAGA people, they don't care because, you know, that doesn't, they don't really, they want to ignore things like that. You know, Donald Trump lives in a, lived in a penthouse in New York City. And I've always said that, you know, people who are MAGA, they always talk about how Donald Trump is this, their man. And I'm thinking to myself, if Donald Trump had a party, you would not be on the guest list. And that's the thing that always makes me laugh. It's like they, you know, they fail to recognize that. Now, if someone like Barack Obama was living ritzy or was living in a, like a nice, you know, penthouse, oh, trust me, the same people would be talking about how he's such an elitist and, you know, is out of touch. But 
meanwhile, they they ignore all the things that Donald Trump has done. And, and, and it just makes you it just makes you wonder, like, do they really think that this guy has their back? I mean, he's just saying it to get your votes and he knows what's going to get to you and what's going to make you vote. So I'm just curious what the people of Centralia think about Darren Bailey moving to John Hancock. Do they think he's like a brave soul to do that like i don't know what they're thinking you know i i'd be curious to know uh, yeah all right tina spandalas report and get back to uh me and romano okay uh poor tina's like doing all the work uh she's doing a great she's really on a roll yes, she's doing a great job all right uh so let's talk uh a bit about uh the political move by the governor of texas gregory abbott uh, to bring uh, busloads of immigrants from Texas to Chicago, uh, like he's catching uh, Lori Lightfoot and J.B. Pritzker in a gotcha moment, and uh, and he's like, "I'm going to bring home the crisis of at the border to you, so you can't ignore it anymore." Uh, I have many feelings about this, but I'm really curious what your thoughts are about what's going on here, Romano. You you saw that um, Governor Pritzker had declared um, a state. I guess it was, was it, what is it called? It's like emergency. Yeah. Emergency. I don't know if that's the right word. I could be, I could be saying using the wrong word, but just so they could get the state could get more aid with all the, the influx of the immigrants here. Um, the thing that's so wrong about this is that Texas is failing to share information. It's just kind of like, Hey, you know, democratic cities, like here are all these immigrants. It's, you want them there. Like, so we're just going to send you, like groups of people. And, you know, obviously these cities are taking um, these immigrants, these people who are come, who are being brought into, you know, these cities. And, but the thing is like, you know, if you're sharing information, you know, that would be helpful and they're not doing that. And they're obviously doing it to, you know, help make these cities scramble and try to find a place or find, you know, shelter for these individuals. And it, it's, it's really sad that, you, you know, he's using people, actual human beings you know, whose lives, you know, it's already upended, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're just giving, you know, giving them more things to worry about. And it's just like the fact that he's playing with human lives. It's, it's just disgusting to me. And, you know, it just shows you the lack of feeling or empathy for immigrants. And it's just, I don't know, it, it's, it just obviously rubs me the wrong way, but I, I just, I'm not surprised by this happening, but um, I'm glad I live in a city like Chicago or in a state like Illinois, but it's, it's disturbing. You know what I mean? It's like, instead of finding solutions for, you know, immigrants or, you know, trying to find the resources for these individuals, you know, they're like, Oh, here, take them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, take, here, take them. We don't, you know, and, and, and he's, he's, like I said, he's making a political point by using human beings, which I just find really offensive. I mean, I always find it offensive when politicians use human beings and their, you know, hardships and try to make their lives worse for to make a point. And, and this is just to another, another level, I think. Yeah, that's well put. I agree with everything you just said. And uh, I mean, we, should, we could have a whole show on this. and I'll, I want to move on. But I um, and we probably will have a, a larger discussion about this. But uh, I, I just the whole, to me the whole notion of a crisis at the border is manufactured. Uh, if there's a surge of of people trying to get into the United States from Mexico, Central America, it's probably because of the horrific conditions in the country that they're trying to get out of. You can economic conditions, political conditions, criminal uh, threats to their family, etc., and so forth. And so the crisis, in my opinion, is that you just take people and lock them up in detention centers, and then they're over teaming, and so then you got to open up more detention centers. So they're just letting them into the country. Now, Romana, I know if I said that. As a candidate, I would be lambasted by the other side uh, so fast, open borders, et cetera, et cetera. But my experience with immigrants in the United States, it's been 99.9% positive. And in that list of uh, immigrants are my forefathers. So it's like when my grandfather came to this country, Ramana, he, he, he stayed with a relative uh, in Philly while he got on his feet. Then they had a huge fight, <laughs> and then he <laughs> that, moved by. The, yeah, nothing to do with anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. He moved on his own, and uh, he made his way, et cetera, and so forth. But I don't know why. Like it's viewed as well. I do know why, but to to view uh, 
immigrants coming in from south of the border as a crisis as opposed to an opportunity. I mean, Lord knows Chicago is emptying out on population. Uh, there's a lot of jobs that go with nobody wants them. So I don't know why this is not viewed as an opportunity. That's kind of my, how I view it. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, like Mexican immigrants who come here, they do the jobs that nobody else wants to do, right? You know, we talk about people, um, working class white Americans are like, oh, the jobs are drying out. I'm like, no, you don't want to do the jobs that people don't want to do anymore. And so Mexicans, a lot of Mexicans are taking these jobs. And listen, I mean, you go to a restaurant, you go in the back, almost everybody in the back in Chicago is, uh, you know, Hispanic. So it's it's just insane. And, you know, there's so many people, you know, people always talk about um, how they don't want undocumented uh, immigrants coming here. But then they're using undocumented immigrants to, uh, you know, fix up their lawns and do the work in their houses so they don't have to give them that much money. You know what I mean? It's 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 just a very it's a very like hypocritical stance that a lot of people take. Um, I know and I know immigration is a very you know complex subject. I mean, my parents are immigrants and, you know, they they always say, well, people should follow the rules. But, you know, everybody's circumstances are different. And I think that's one thing that, you know, people forget. It's like every immigrant has a different circumstance. And, you know, we always talk about undocumented immigrants. And whenever people talk about undocumented immigrants, they're always talking about brown Americans. But there are so many people who are white, you know, white people in this country, white immigrants. But people turn their heads. I mean, someone told me Boston has a lot of undocumented Irish immigrants. I, I have a coworker at work who told me, you know, her grandma from Poland was undocumented and nobody would ever look at that person and say, hey, why are you in this country? You're not, you're illegal. You know, so I do think certain people get away with being undocumented, especially, you know, if they're white and then they can blend in, nobody raises an eyebrow, you know, and it, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like when people speak French, everybody's impressed. All these white people are impressed. But if you start talking Spanish, people are like, oh, why don't you talk? Why don't you talk English? You're in America. So it's, it's just a very hypocritical um, stance that we take a lot of times in this country. And, you know, like I said, again, I know immigration is a very tough subject, um, but I just think that we there's just solutions that we need to work towards. And, you know, we talk about the borders and, you know, what's happening in Mexico, but a lot of the stuff that's happening in Mexico is because of what America craves. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, Donald Trump's talking about all these, you know, drug dealers coming from Mexico. I'm like, first of all, people are coming to escape the dangers that we created as, as Americans because we crave these drugs it's not like these people who are coming here are drug dealers. A lot of them are escaping because the situation is so dangerous for them. So it's 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 just a very hypocritical thing. You know, we we are part of the problem, and we like to forget that. We don't like to look at the things that we contributed to, that as to what causes these situations. You know, people talk about refugees, and I think people said like, well, if America doesn't want refugees, then maybe stop creating wars in different countries. You know, refugees are created because of certain things. They're by product of what other people are doing. So I, I just don't think there's, I, I, I don't think it's like, I think it's a complex situation, but to, just to treat people as pawns, as political pawns, is just offensive to me. I'm with you 100%. And now we'll make uh, the uh, concluding transition uh, right out of what you said. It's so appropriate. Ramana's recommendation, we always do what, what you're watching on TV or reading. And uh, you recommended a couple weeks ago a show that I uh, watched and really enjoyed. So thank you, Ramon. It's called Mo. Uh, Mo Amber is the star. He's a creator. He's a comedian. Uh, he's Palestinian, Palestinian-American. He speaks three languages. It just blew me away. He just flawlessly speaks three languages without thinking. Switch from English to Arabic to uh, Spanish. And, and then, like, his English, he could speak, like... Like, like he's speaking to a, a, a white Texan English and then a black Texan English and then a Hispanic Texan. I mean, he just and, and uh, hipsters lingo. The guy is really a remarkable linguist uh, and very great comedian and very passionate. 
and I appreciated what his show was and enjoyed it very much. So I urge everybody to check it out it's on Netflix. That's my recommendation. Thank you, Romana, for turning me on to it. Uh, so what are you recommending these days? Well, I'm watching, I know you're going to laugh, but I just started watching Cobra Kai. The fifth season just came on Netflix. It is so cheesy, but um, I'm going to keep watching it um, until it's over. And, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz about the bear, which I did. La I watched last week. And I do think the buzz was definitely worth it. We we're talking about Chicago a few minutes ago. And uh, this show definitely pays homage to, is it homage, homage to, well, to, you know, it's basically, it's basically a love letter to Chicago, even though like, it's not like, you know, there's, there's part, some parts of it where I was just like, okay, you're, it's like, nobody talks about Chicago like that. Like there's one or two parts where I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we would necessarily talk about Chicago like that, but I, I thought it was, I thought they shot the city really well. And I like the story about this guy whose brother commits suicide and he's kind of going through his feelings while trying to run this restaurant. Um, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a pretty strong show. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, people of color working in restaurants, um, you know, that it showed you like the chef is the face, but the people behind what's happening at these restaurants are usually most of the time people of color. And I like the fact that, you know, and a lot of times shows like that, like, you know, they don't really, show these individuals like you know the side characters as as they don't really dig into their lives but I kind of just felt like this show did a good job of kind of fleshing out um some of the characters who are working in the back of the restaurant it kind of you know really humanized them and I don't know if you paid attention I, I know you're like not Gen X but Molly Ringwald was in it if anybody <laughs> if anybody um is a fan. There was, there was definitely some cameos of um, famous people. Joel McHale was in it. He's a comedian. He played the jerky chef in New York. And then um, I know you don't watch walking dead, but so if anybody hasn't watched the show, maybe you'd want to turn it off. But the guy who plays the brother in flashbacks, he's uh, John Berthnall, Bernthal. I'm could be pronouncing his name wrong, but he, he became, I mean, he's like, he's a great actor. And I, I know I told you to watch, we own this city on HBO. Um, you definitely have to watch that show, but he plays a cop in that he's like the main character and he's just a spectacular actor. He was actually someone that's not billed, but he's a famous person. So people are like, Oh, he pops up on the show playing the brother. So I thought it was good. I know you told me you saw it too. I'm surprised you didn't mention it yet because it's Chicago. Well, you know, it was, I, I, I enjoyed it. There were some great scenes. I thought some, uh, like, like going back to Steppenwolf, theater days were like really tense people in each other's face quick dialogue i mean whoa great acting and so i, I have to give a, a shout out uh and i i watched every episode so i must have liked it i didn't get you know sometimes i get disgusted I go that's it i'm not watching another one uh and the acting was sensational and it uh uh, the one, only thing I'll say about it negative, which is, I don't even know why I'm saying anything negative about it, because th they did a great job overall, is that I've been around a lot of Chicagoans of the type who they're trying to represent their, the brothers that run the restaurant, and sooner or later you're going to hear some racist stuff out of them. I'm just telling you, Chicago, been living here since 1981, and you, if, if you're just alone, and they're alone a lot, you're going to hear some racist stuff. So it was trying to be real, real about Chicago, and then they left that part out. Uh, but I'm like, ah, eh, maybe they're just, they don't want to go there, so. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah, I know, I trust me, I know what you're saying. Like, I kind of felt that, too. I'm like, okay, so the matter of race doesn't come up. I mean, that one friend of his who I thought was a really good, the the chef's friend, the brother's friend, like, you know, the, the older guy, I, I thought like he would say, like he was like mad because this young black woman is kind of like helping the chef and running the restaurant. And I'm like, you know, he's, he's annoyed because she's a millennial and she's like, she has no experience. But yeah, I kind of find out, I, I was kind of like, for him to not say anything about her as a woman of color, I just... And I know what you're saying. I, I totally know the type and they were the type. I mean, even like, you know, me, I grew up in Lincolnwood. So that type is not the type I grew up with. It was something I was exposed to later. I was like, as I, as I say, I was exposed to uh, the Jewish culture more than I was like, you know, the working class Chicago culture. But when I was, I, it, it, it's, 
was a little it was a little different and so yeah I, I know exactly what you're saying I, I think they kind of glossed over that but maybe this is the newer gentler you know working class characters but no I know I know what you're saying because you know we in this city that stuff comes up you all hear the time, it all so. the time and I had the same transition you did uh, I, I moved to Evanston for junior high and high school and Evanston was like a totally different world than Chicago I moved to Chicago and right uh, and then Harold Washington ran, and wow, uh, the stuff I heard coming out of people's mouths, right? I'm like, whoa, they don't talk this way in Evanston. Uh, and then when then you're elite, snob, blah. And oh, I'm an elitist because I don't speak derogatorily about other human beings. Does that make me an elitist? Uh, and so anyway, the point is, yeah, I was, I'm with you. Yeah, and because and because you're um, a white guy, you probably heard more than I did as a woman of color, like. If I come in to, like, I remember, like, when I started working as a journalist and I worked at City News Bureau, we'd have to hang out at police stations. I never heard a racial slur. Never. But all my friends who are white, they heard people, like, throwing around the N-word. And, you know, there was obviously no, you know, black cops in sight. But nobody would throw around the N-word in front of me. I don't, I, you know, or a black reporter. So I remember I was like, oh, I never heard that. And they're like, you know, they, they would hear stuff like that and. So I do think that, you know, certain people are privy to, to those candid conversations um, as opposed to someone like me. Like, you know, they'll be a little more careful about what they say. But there's obviously some people who don't care, you know, if I'm in that in, in the orbit and they'll use certain words. Absolutely. And so, I'll just say this in closing. Uh, so it doesn't look like we're just picking on uh, white people in Chicago. So here we go. I'm going to defend Chicago. You ready, Chicago? Not just you. Uh, there was a story that broke today's paper. Talked about it a lot with Monroe Anderson uh, early in the show, a uh, show I did earlier, uh, about the owner of the Phoenix Suns who was suspended for um, one year and fined, uh, I think it was $10 million, for uh, a series of exceedingly offensive uh, slurs that he just would customarily throw around the office. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, Robert uh, Sarver is his name. And... Uh, and word included. So it's not just, uh, you know, working no, no, class no, no. guys it, in it, Chicago. It's, not, it's and I, and, yeah. and I don't want to, and I don't want to, you know. Yeah. I know. you. Know, I just do. I, I, yeah. It could be anybody. I could be people who are Indian too. Right. So. Oh yeah. Some Indian people think that they're um, black and that they can use the N word like throw it around and you know, you yeah. can't, it's not cool. But by the way, did you see that character in in Mo, the Indian woman who was really whitewashed? Yeah, I love that part. That oh my god, that was that the oh yeah, that was. Right. We should talk, but yeah, that's where she uh, uh, the girlfriend went to get the loan, and uh, yeah, the Indian whitewashed, and it was married to Gregory, I think his name was yeah. uh, the rich guy, the guy in the blues band. That was yeah, like, the guy in the blues band. That was perfect. And then yeah. Mo's like, "Is it a a blues band or is it a reggae band?" It's I know you appropriated some culture. I just can't remember which one. Very funny guy, that Mo Ammer. Very funny guy. All right, Ramana, thank you so much. Uh, making the time one more time, and uh, uh, we'll hang up. We'll let you get back to work. Write that column, all right? Okay, thank you. All right, that's great. Ramana Hussein, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.